I want to take a moment now to introduce uh, our newest member of the pastoral team, Steve Copeland. We're delighted that Steve is joining us and bringing his gifts and skills to our team. Uh, Steve is going to be preaching this morning, and I'd like to read the scripture passage ahead of that. So reading from Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3 in the NIV. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does, does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Well, good day to you, Elevation. I'm Steve, uh, Steve Copeland, one of the newest members of the pastoral team here at Elevation, uh, joining you for the season of change and transition in that teaching and transition role. And I'm coming to you from the Sydenham River, which is in my neck of the woods. And it's a, it's a river that winds itself through this region. And uh, it's, you know, not too far from my house. So able to walk down here and and be in this setting. And I, I wanted to begin here because as I was listening to last week and the uh, the unpacking of Psalm 126 by Kristen, just what, what was resonating with me was this agrarian theme of sowing in tears and reaping in joy and how uh, these metaphors, these agrarian metaphors, which we see all through scripture, can really ground us and center us and, and root us in this larger story of God cultivating, preparing, tilling, uh, planting and growing us individually and us collectively. And one of my favorite images is from uh, Psalm 1. It's, it's describing, you know, discipleship. It's describing the righteous person who is like a tree. And that tree is, is planted by streams of water. They are, they're rooted, connected to the source, and they are faithful in season. And they, you know, their leaves do not, do not wither. They, even in the face of adversity, they thrive. And, and I, you know, reflecting on that, I've been thinking about that quite a lot. The idea that thriving does not always equal fruitfulness. I think sometimes we, we have this misnomer, this idea that, that we always have to be bearing fruit. We always have to be fruitful people. And maybe we've overlaid the, an industrial framework on an agrarian idea that says we always need to be productive. We always need to be fruitful. But we know with, you know, fruit-bearing trees and plants and, and, and life that there's a season for that. But then there's also a season of uprooting and a season of pruning and a season of, of death and ending. And then another season of growth and new life and fruit-bearing. And so I don't want to spend too much time talking about fruitfulness this morning. What I'd rather talk about this morning is faithfulness. What does faithfulness look like in this season? But as we ask that question, what does faithfulness look like in this season? We also have to then locate ourselves in a metaphor of seasons, in the cycle of seasons. Where are we? What season am I in? What season are you in? What season are we in together? And so Parker Palmer uses this metaphor of seasons in some of his work. He's an educator and author. And he says, Trans transformation is difficult. So it is good to know that there is comfort as well as challenge in the metaphor of life as a cycle of seasons. Illumined by that image, we see, we see that we are not alone in the universe. So he talks about how this language is universal, that we as people who live with the four seasons, we, it becomes language that uh, we can share to... Um, a common language that helps us locate ourselves in the sort of season of the soul that we are in. 
So we have the four seasons. We'll start in spring because we're kind of in spring or almost in spring. It feels like spring today. And so spring is a season of, of life and greening and growth and hope and a burst of activity and energy. Uh, but it's also a season before we get to that of mess and mud and um, just a crazy activity and uh, new rhythms. And, and so it's a season of, of, of growth and, and getting, out, getting out into new, something new. Um, but then following that comes the season of summer. And summer is a season of productivity, of generativity, of the harvest, of fruitfulness, of, of connection. It's often a season where we spend a lot of time together in public spaces and out together in backyard barbecues and, and being social and engaged in longer days. And then after summer comes fall. And fall is a season of letting go. It's a season of pruning. And, uh, and clarifying and distilling what it is that's important to us. Fall, for you know, those of us who have young kids, is a season of getting back to habits and rhythms, getting back to school, getting back to, uh, to normal, to routine, what is important to us. Uh, it's a season of letting go. In fall, trees let go of their seeds and they fall. And then comes winter. And winter is a season of, of death and dormancy and loss and closure and ending and rest, and renewal, and just waiting. And with that comes another season of spring for the, the seeds that fell in, in fall, lay dormant under the ground in winter, and then shoot up with new life in spring. And a friend of mine, uh, another pastor in Hamilton, he talks about uh, how this pandemic has been for the church like the church going to seed. It's like the church shedding what it used to be, falling, and then this weird season as things are sort of percolating under the ground and now something new is coming. And our impulse might be to go back to what it was before and yet maybe we be invited to ask what new thing is God doing with the church? It's not dead. It's certainly alive, but it's taking a new shape. And so we have these seasons that we can locate ourselves in as individuals and as churches, seasons of change, but we also have seasons as, as a church, the church seasons. You know, we, we find ourselves in the story of Jesus for half the year and then this, you know, ordinary time in the other part of the year. And, and that moves from, you know, Advent and themes, themes of anticipation through to the incarnation and Christmas, through to Revelation at Epiphany, and then, um, you know, the uh, crucifixion during the season of Lent and the resurrection during the season of Easter. And then, and then uh, the ascension and Pentecost brings us to the end of Jesus' story and the birth of, of the church. And so we find ourselves in that season of Lent right now, getting ready for Easter, moving toward Easter. And there's a, there's a prayer by Walter Brueggemann that I absolutely love called Easter Us, where he uses this, the language of Easter, not as a sort of a one and done day, but as a, as a verb, almost in the imperative, almost, almost desperate, come and Easter us, show up in our lives as life and light, declutter us, make sense of us. And so Lent then, is this season of getting ready for Easter. It's a season of kind of like preparing the house for guests. I don't know if you're like me, but you know, during this pandemic, having company has been hard. We haven't seen people as much. And so our houses have perhaps fallen into disarray. We are the kind of people uh, 
you know, myself and my wife Emily and our kids who, who are often motivated by external guests coming to, to sort of clean the house. And so Lent is that, that motivator to get us ready for Easter, to, to ready the house, to declutter the inner life as God is going to show up in my life in this season. Which begs the question, how is my soul? What's going on inside of me beneath the clutter? How am I getting ready for God to Easter me to show up as life and light in the messiness of this season? What does faithfulness look like in this season? If we think about walking through the, you know, the, the season situationally, we could, we could say, you know, maybe you're in uh, a season of spring where you're making, uh, or sorry, fall. Maybe you're in a season of fall. Uh, where you're making changes in your life, you're reevaluating your priorities, you're, you're maybe making, you know, letting some things go, you're reevaluating, you're clarifying. Um, but maybe you're, maybe you're in a season where you've lost a job or lost a loved one or something dear to you has come to an end, and maybe you're in a kind of winter season. Or maybe you're starting something new, like me, and you have uh, a new job and new rhythms, or maybe you have a new baby or a new pet. Uh, your rhythms are all out of whack. You're trying to figure out in all the dissonance and disorganization uh, how to make sense of things. There's so much happening. You're kind of in spring. Or maybe you're just in a sweet spot. There's growth and you're productive and life is good and you're in sort of a summer season. Uh, likely as a church, we're in kind of a fall or winter season, but also signs of spring ahead where, you know, we're, we're evaluating what is important to us right now. Uh, what, are, what are some priorities? Uh, there's been some pause. There's been some, perhaps some reflection in this, and there's been a closure and ending. But we're also seeing, you know, signs of spring and new things are happening and possibilities. And so maybe we're, you know, kind of in a variety of seasons right now, in kind of in, in transition. Uh, you know, winter, winter comes with a gift for us. Uh, and as it's, as it's coming to an end, we think about, the, you know, the gift of winter was that it was a season of reflection and a pause. Uh, for for the, the downtown Windsor Community Collaborative, where I, I came from in Windsor, uh, we, we saw early COVID and the pandemic as an opportunity to pause and reflect. And out of that birthed this idea of, of a communal potluck in the park. We, um, we don't have a building there. And so we were using, you know, people's living rooms and, and public spaces. And so, you know, gathering became mostly online. But we, we found on Tuesday, we would come together for a potluck in the park. And it began with, you know, 20 or 30 people. And it grew over the course of the summer and into the fall to close to 100 people and, and a good maybe 75% of those people were, were kids and teenagers who frequented the park and they would show up for the meal and they would get excited about, about Taco Tuesday. It had some other cool name for it, um, but the first time we did it, it was a taco bar. It was a build your own taco bar. And so Taco Tuesday stuck and that's what it became. And, and it was beautiful, it was messy. It was uh, just a wild adventure all the way till Christmas when we held our last Taco Tuesday of the year. We had a big Christmas party. We had some, some, a floor, some road hockey and we lit a Christmas tree, uh, you know, put some lights on it and did a Christmas tree lighting and we had a meal together. And, uh, and then we put Taco Tuesday on pause and winter offered us a, a break, a gift to pause and reflect and renew ourselves. You know, it's a lot for a small community to, to host a weekly potluck week in and week out for a hundred people. 
uh, and so it gave our people a chance to, to pause and also an opportunity to reflect on what it is that we were doing for this last you know, six, seven months and were there changes we would make. So winter offers this gift to us and then, and then spring comes. And before spring becomes beautiful, it is plug ugly, says Parker Palmer, nothing but mud and muck. And I have walked in the early spring through fields that will suck your boots off, a world so wet and woeful it makes you yearn for the return of ice. But in that muddy mess, the conditions of rebirth are being created. So I'm joining you now from my garden. And I was thinking about uh, how last week, Kristen was, you know, uh, speaking from Psalm 126 uh, of sowing in tears and reaping in joy and this idea of sowing and cultivating and, and how I'm doing that in my own space. And so I wanted to uh, connect it to a story, a famous story, a story you've probably heard before in Matthew 13, uh, what was commonly referred to as the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed. Now, in the original uh, languages of the Bible, we would not have had headings. But in the New Testament, you know, in our translated English versions, we have headings in our Bibles. And most of the time, this is translated, this heading is given to us is, is the parable of the sower or the parable of the seed. But I would contend that this is really a parable about soil. It's about this stuff right here. This is uh, mushroom compost. And uh, it's the stuff they use to grow mushrooms. So it's like nutrient-rich and we're using it for uh, our gardening here. And so as we, as we listen to this story, I would contend and I would ask that we be reflective, we'd be thinking about the soil of our own hearts, of our own lives. Which are we like? So let's have ears to hear these words from Matthew 13. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since it was, the soil was not deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it produced fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. So as I said, I think this is a story of, of the soil. And if we think about it in terms of a science experiment, you know, a science experiment is going to ask a question looking for an answer. And that question is going to be some sort of hypothesis, some idea of if we, if we do this, we might have this outcome, but then we need to test it. And in that testing, we are going to have uh, variables. But not everything in a science experiment can be a variable because invariably we'll have no idea what led to the, the outcome. So you have to have certain pieces that are control factors, uh, that are controlled, they don't change. And in this story, we have the sower, he doesn't change. Same sower in all four situations. And the seed doesn't change. What we have changing in this science experiment is the soil, the conditions. And so we have these four contexts of soil. We have the path you know, which we might think of as, as hard and rigid and you really can't grow things on a path. And we have the, the rocky ground, 
which would be, you know, still somewhat rigid and uncultivated and, and, and there's barriers to cultivating that land. But if you do the hard work, you could probably grow something. And then you have thorns or the mixed use land. And this, uh, there's not enough nutrients, there's not enough sun, there's not enough space for both things to grow up side by side. And so the, the thorns choke out the, uh, the plant. And then finally, we have the good soil. And uh, in, in our work in, in the Downtown Windsor Community Collaborative, you know, doing neighborhood renewal and community development, we did a lot of, of community gardens. We ran about five community gardens in the downtown. And we, we looked at food security and, and how we can uh, grow more food in urban spaces and often in abandoned spaces like alleyways. But one thing we know in our, in our research around guerrilla gardening and where you can grow things is you really cannot grow things in or on a sidewalk. There's, you know, there's cracks in a sidewalk, but there's no depth of soil there. You can't grow anything. And of course, the birds will just come and eat it, as we find out here. And so this, this land lacks the purpose of, of growing things, of farmable land. It's really, it's a, it's a purpose of a path. So, you know, that, that situation, that context is, is not gonna yield any sort of growth. Is that me? Is that my heart? Am I rigid and and uh, and hard and lacking the purpose of growth? Maybe I need to do some work there to repurpose and retune what's going on inside of me. And then we come to a story uh, like the second context of of the land that is you know rocky ground and and just sort of that way is a, a plot of of land that used to have a barn. And so there's a foundation under the ground and, and all the farmers around here, they would call that unfarmable land. Because in order for you to do the work of farming there, you would need to go and dig up the foundation, dig up the boulders, get rid of, of those things that prevent the land from being cultivated. Again, the land is, is hard, it's rigid, it's, it's, uh, there's barriers and things that get in the way. And I think of, you know, of our lives and the ways in which we experience trauma and loss and, uh, and just harm and needing healing that requires us to do the hard work of, of cultivating our inner lives. And sometimes we do that, you know, in our, in our spiritual lives with God. Sometimes we do that with, with professionals and, and friends and peers and in conversations. But it's hard work to do the work of, of unearthing the things that are sort of preventing us from growing. Uh, in, our, in our downtown Windsor community collaborative context, we were working in a neighborhood called Glengarry, and it was a, a social housing neighborhood, several uh, high rises where the city would sort of rehome the homeless and those who are living in urban poverty. And, uh, and we did a lot of work there. We were really trying to establish a, a Christ community that was led by the neighbors of that neighborhood. And so we were doing a lot of leadership development and investing in local leaders there. And we always found that at a certain point, uh, it was like a ceiling to discipleship. You couldn't get anywhere because there was, there was unresolved and unhealed trauma and loss. And, and, and so what we needed to do was do the hard work of coming alongside people with the right tools, the right resources to, to help people heal. And so that led to the, you know, the launching of, of REACT, this uh, recovery 
of an education for addictions and complex trauma in Windsor, a program, a you know, 12-week outpatient program that's dealing with and helping people take back control of their lives, dealing with that root uh, complex trauma that undergirds so much pain and, and loss and even addiction. And so, you know, this idea of unearthing the soil and unearthing the, the barriers and, and boulders that get in the way is, is work that maybe uh, some of us need to do. Some of us need to spend some time. If that is, that is your heart, if that is your context, if you're at a ceiling for growth, perhaps that is the work of, of this particular season you are in. And then I think of the, the third scenario, the mixed use, the thorns, and uh, my own experience of, of first learning how to garden. We moved to Sarnia from Toronto, and we bought our first house, and we had a backyard for the first time, and I decided I was going to grow uh, my, own, my own vegetables. And, um, and I really wanted to make a really, really good salsa verde. So I needed tomatillos, I needed cilantro, I needed chilies. And so I, I planted a bunch of things in this sort of four by four uh, cinder block uh, raised bed garden. And, um, and I planted everything and then nothing happened. Nothing took, I waited. And so I, I got impatient. And so I, I went to the superstore, you know, like a rookie gardener and I bought a bunch of seedlings and plants and I planted them in the garden too. And then the, the seeds in the garden took hold and, and took root and started growing alongside the, the plants that I already bought. And it was a jungle. It was an absolute jungle of green and growth. But all of these plants were fighting for the same nutrients and the same sun and the same water that, in truth, nothing really grew. And one of the fascinating things about tomatillos, as opposed to different tomatoes, tomatillos are green tomatoes, is they grow in this like sort of lantern, almost like a cocoon. Uh, you peel back the skin and you have a green tomato inside. Uh, but what was happening in my garden was the globe, the lantern, the cocoon was growing and there was nothing inside of it. It was hollow, it was empty. The conditions for growth were lacking and so the plants just couldn't develop anything. They couldn't grow anything. There was too much mixed use, too much uh, conflict. And I think about our own inner lives and how sometimes we're, we're divided, we're lacking focus. Um, we, we spread ourselves too thin. We, um, we have too much going on that we, uh, it leads to, to no growth. It leads to way too many things and nothing really of any value. Another story from downtown Windsor was, you know, really wanting to, to provide hope and life in abandoned spaces. So I planted grapevines and raspberry bushes in my alleyway. And, um, and the grapevines took and they're still there to this day, but the, the raspberry bushes always experienced a challenge because the local weeds would, would climb up around and they'd choke out the plants. And I spent so much time trying to clear the weeds from my neighbor uh, that would climb up the fence and choke up my raspberry bushes. And, and so also in view in this story is, are the things in our lives that, that prohibit growth, that, that choke out life, those negative uh, patterns or habits that, that sap life away from us and prohibit growth. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you have that going on in your life. Maybe the pandemic has, has, uh, has been a challenge and you find yourself in just unhealthy habits. And the work right now would be for you to to focus on that, to do the work of clarifying, focusing um, the, 
you know, the garden plot of your own heart so that it is receptive and ready for healing and growth. Then, of course, we have the good soil, and that's where growth happens. And I don't really need to explain that one. So this, you know, this brings me to a, sort of a barrage of questions. Uh, I, I think, you know, how am I, how are we entrusting God, the gardener, with our lives? Are we willing? Are we open? Are we receptive? Are we ready for change? Or are we unfarmable? Are we unreceptive? Are we rigid? Are we ready to receive what God the gardener is sowing in our life? You know, readiness here speaks to uh, removal of the barriers and clarifying the purpose and getting rid of the distractions that prevent growth. And what does faithfulness look like in the soil of my life in this season? What are, what are the barriers that get in the way? What's distracting me right now? How do I focus? Parker Palmer says this, he says, in my own life, as my winters segue into spring, I not only find it hard to cope with mud, but hard to credit the small harbingers of larger life to come, hard to hope until the outcome is secure. Spring teaches me to look more carefully for the green stems of possibility, for the intuitive hunch that may turn into a larger insight, for the glance or touch that may thaw a frozen relationship for the stranger's act of kindness that makes the world seem hospitable again. Could it be that in this season, faithfulness for us is thawing frozen relationships that the pandemic has taken away or, or frozen for us? Could it be that this season is inviting us to look for green stems of possibility or that it's leaning into acts of kindness that make the world a hospitable and hopeful place again? As we head toward Easter, what does faithfulness look like in your life in this season? What is God inviting you to get ready for? I want to close with this prayer from Walter Brueggemann, uh, an excerpt from Easter Us. Look upon us in our deep need. Mark the wounds of our brothers and sisters just here. Notice the turmoil in our lives and the lives of our families Credit the incongruity of the rich and the poor in our very city and the staggering injustices abroad in our land. Measure the suffering, count the sufferers, number the wounds. You, tamer of chaos and mender of all tears in the canvas of creation, we ponder your suffering, your crown of thorns, your garment taken in lottery, your mocked life. And now we throw upon your suffering humiliation, the suffering of the world. You, defeater of death, whose power could not hold you, come in your Easter, come in your sweeping victory, come in your glorious new life. Easter us, salve wounds, break injustice, bring peace, guarantee neighbor. Easter us in joy and strength, be our God, be your true self. Lord of life, massively turn our life toward your life. And here are thankful, grateful, unashamed, hallelujah. Amen.